Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules, and happy to be back on today with some really, really interesting guests. I think you're going to learn a lot about a subject that is um, you're hearing a lot more about in the media, but is actually really something that we should all be learning more about for ourselves and our families, um, and that is the Save the Bee Project and also just honeybee production and why it's so integral to everything that we hold near and dear in our lives here with the gluten-free community with food. Um, we are going to be talking about those bees, and we're going to be talking about what they do and their production and their lifestyles and how that fits in with food production that you may not know about. And we're going to be talking about a wonderful company that I discovered at Natural Products Expo West. I had a really lovely conversation with the folks who run a company called Glory Bee, and they are here with me today to talk about their um, product lines, their dedication to the mission of saving the bee, how they got started in the business, and you know, just basically how we as good stewards ourselves can help to save the bees and also to support products and companies who are doing things for the right reasons. So with that being said, I would like to welcome two members of the Glory Bee Company, Alan Taransky and also Ray Jean Wilson. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, we're excited to be on. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank well, you. so um, yeah, I, I was reading a little bit more about your company. It's really interesting because it, this is somewhat unique in the field of natural products. A lot of companies kind of feel like they're a homegrown company, or they they try to have that um, atmosphere or put on that the air of being a small, you know, local or natural kind of a company that people can really relate to. But really they're not. A lot of those companies are very large, and, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that it's just so fun to find a company that really truly is a family-owned company, has been around for a while, been doing all kinds of neat things. And I really wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about First of all, how the company got started back in the 70s and how it's changed to date. I think this is a fascinating story just in terms of growth of a small company in the natural product space and where you are today. So I don't know, would that be you, Alan, or Regine? Who would you like to talk first about how the company got started and and sort of how it's morphed into what it is today? Um, I can do that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm the um, older sister of Alan, and so I'm eight years older, and I've been working at Glory Bee officially for 22 years, and Mm. uh, before that, as as a child, doing a lot of different odd jobs in the business. But my parents, you know, started this company out of their garage in Eugene, Oregon, and um, really came kind of from this premise that um, we all need. food and why not have it be healthy food and really just started off with a mentor to my dad a gentleman named Warren Oslin who taught my dad about beekeeping and then he um, 
went and taught, um, volunteered to teach a class at Lane Community College, and I think it's somewhere like you know 80 people showed up for the class. And being wow. somewhat of an entrepreneur at heart, he thought, "Wow." And it just evolved from there um, to where, you know, the company, some of our current customers today who are also, you know, grassroots, local, um, natural companies like Springfield Creamery, um, businesses like today, a bigger company, Franz Bakery, introducing them to honey, you know, and putting it in their bread and, and putting it in their, you know, supplying them honey for their yogurt and so you know really there was a time when the company did actually manufacture bee supplies which didn't end up being the most successful venture for us Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. from the beginning we've always been about the bees so you know this year ironically was our 40th bee weekend where people actually come to Glory Bee and they um, buy bees and beekeeping supplies like one weekend when they can actually buy the live bees. And we still do that. It's probably one of our most favorite events. And Mm -hmm. so we're really just about the bee because that's the heart of the company. But the other natural products we sell and how the company's evolved have just kind of been – truly an evolution from honey to molasses to, you know, oils and other sweeteners. And a lot of times it is about people who have health needs for a product that's healthy and natural that's, you know, tied to, you know, a health concern. So, um, you know, obviously gluten-free is is a big area, but also just other health issues, you know, diabetes or just, you know, high cholesterol, reasons that people would be looking for healthy products. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, well that's, I just think that's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that um, with us because I just think when people really dig down and find out not just what the products are, but why the people behind the products are, are involved, you know, I think that really defines a company and makes people, you know, you go walk up on the store shelf and you see, um, you know, the same products, but, you know, purchase, you have the opportunity to purchase from different companies. And, and to me, that was one of the really fascinating things about Expo West is we're really starting to see a lot of companies who are setting themselves apart because of their stewardship, because of how they are giving back to the community, either, um, socially or environmentally or otherwise, and, and your company was one that stood out for me as well because of the B, the B project that you work on. So tell me a little bit about that. How did that first get started, and, and where does it stand today? Well, that's you, Alan. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I grew up um, beekeeping with my dad at the age of 10. Uh, I had my first hive of, of bees, and um, – became enamored with with bees and then of course just being involved in the business as Regine was over the years uh, as a kid and came back to Eugene in 2004 after a stint in Seattle and moved back to Eugene with my wife and just really kind of was like I want to keep bees and so um, about five or six years ago began to keep bees and um, as we've you know highly involved in the the bee industry and the you know a buyer of honey because we sell a lot of honey we buy from local beekeepers and hearing about um, from them as well as of course in the media you know colony collapse disorder and all these things facing the bees and 
just um, other concerns that that we have um, as a company and a, as myself as an individual with um, pesticide impacts and monocultures and all these things and really just um, felt like we need to do something about it and being involved in selling beekeeping supplies and honey isn't enough. It's not, um, it's not enough to just be selling those products and so we then support the industry, um, which is true. We, um, we really wanted to go out and, and, and try and help get to the root of the problem and see if we can make a difference. And so uh, we started um, that conversation about, you know, we need to have a campaign, we need to be giving money back, and we need to be finding the right partners. And so through talking to um, other universities who have bee labs, um, other people in the industry, beekeepers, uh, we looked um, first in our own backyard here at Oregon State University in the OSU Bee Lab and began talking to Dr. Ramesh Sagili there about what his focus was and what he's seeing and found out that um, some universities are focused on genetics, some are focused on um, research documents, but that um, Dr. Ramesh in the OSU Bee Lab is really focused on um, researching bee health and nutrition, the impacts of pesticides, and working on the ground floor with beekeepers. And that really rang true to, to me because um, the beekeepers are the ones that get, are getting impacted. Um, we need to save the beekeepers as much as we need to save the bees, if you will. And so um, that idea of What does that mean when you say save the beekeepers? What's, what's changing <laughs> in our society well, now that's... The beekeeper's job in the last, in the 40 years from when my dad started beekeeping um, over 40 years ago in 1972 till today, uh, the job of the beekeeper has become significantly more challenging from a um, year-round job to um, the cost inputs that it takes to keep the bees healthy and alive, the spiritual aspect of um, losing 30, 40, 50, 70 percent of your hives every year, um, you know, I think it's a real concern because we have less beehives in the United States today, um, more need uh, for pollination, and, and we've got an aging beekeeping workforce. They're at the over 60 percent, 70 percent, or 55 plus. They've got 10 or 15 more years, uh, you know, most likely on average that they're going to keep running a commercial beekeeping operation, and there's not enough new young beekeepers. And when you think about getting involved in a business where every year you're going to lose 30% of your assets, um, you know, which is your beehives, uh, that's, that's not a good uh, promising career to get into. You have to do, you know, we're not going to get enough people involved in beekeeping. And so, um, you know, we need to look at what's impacting the beekeeper as well as the bees because, you know, he's the caretaker of, of the bees and uh, he or she is the caretaker of the right. bees. So that's well, really what I mean by that. Let's talk about the reasons for the loss of hives. You know, you've said that a couple times, 30 or 40% of hives lost every year. I mean, 
that is radical. Those numbers, and so it is. You know, it is radical. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I mean, for I've the been, loss is. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. You know, I've read a lot about you know the possible reasons. There's so many, but um, you know, just from the the project that you're involved with and and working with o- Oregon State, you know, what do you think are the main culprits? What's what's really causing this this radical loss of hives? Well, I don't think we have you know a conclusive evidence, and and I I think that's part of what the research and the campaign and the funding is all about. But there's certainly a lot of data that speaks to the fact that um, that the bees uh, are impacted heavily by pesticides. That's actually been known for a long time. My dad um, w- was a beekeeper 40 years ago, and he was impacted by pesticides when they would get sprayed on crops and the bees were out pollinating. Um, the difference today is we have these systemic pesticides that are um, embedded into seeds and into the plants, mm-hmm. and... Um, Wax builds up a huge residue uh, of pesticides. It doesn't. Uh, the pesticides don't leave the beeswax. Well, the beeswax is where the eggs are laid. It's where the bee bread that they feed to the baby bees is stored. So there's a lot of concern um, and a lot of evidence that um, that there's problems with the exposure to pesticides, how much of it, and the fact that it's actually systemic versus topical. Um, the, right. the good thing about topical pesticides, uh, if you can say that, is that when they were sprayed, you noticed what happened because the bees died on the, you know, out in the field, but they weren't bringing that back to the hive. Today, you've got these systemic pesticides that are being brought back to the hive, and I think the impacts of that are unknown, but certainly, um, you know, are lethal, and uh, and we know that these pesticides are lethal to bees, so um, so that's a concern. Uh, that is certainly part of the problem. The other thing is the health, the monocultures. uh, There's so much pressure on pollination. I'll use the the extreme example, um, almond crop. It requires 90% um, honeybee pollination, so it's heavily reliant on it. Um, Over 80% of the bees in the United States end up in California for the almonds. So that's from Florida to North Dakota, you know, Vermont. All across the country, bees are being brought there for almond pollination. Um, the uh, the expectation is that those beehives are at maximum strength because the almond grower wants to get the uh, maximum amount of utilization out of that beehive that they're paying, you know, let's say $200 rental fee for um, that beehive to pollinate. Well, that means building up the bees um, at a time of the year which is not, the typical time that they would be at their their maximum strength because normally at that time of the year they're um, they're at their actually lowest strength overall because it's um, kind of in the middle of winter. So um, in in a lot of parts of the country it's in the middle of winter. So so the beekeepers are having to feed and supplement and and then when they're getting uh, almond pollen, which is actually one of the highest protein pollens the bees can harvest. which is great, but it's only one type of pollen because there's no hedgerows, there's no um, uh, diverse um, floral sources there with the almonds. Um, Pretty much everything else is being sprayed. So when they're getting almond pollen, they're only getting almond pollen, which, again, is a very good 
type of uh, protein. But but Dr. Ramesh in OSU has done research that the bees getting 100% almond pollen versus getting 75% almond pollen and 25% another type of pollen, they perform worse uh, health-wise uh, with 100% hmm. almond pollen. They need a diverse because source of protein. So Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. I had no idea about the almond crops. That's a fascinating statistic. I'll have to tweet that for you later. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, it's just the reading that I've done on it, you know, and I've only scratched the surface, but I've been interested in this for a while, and you and I actually spoke for a while at Expo about it too because it's just really fascinating to me. Um, and I actually, last summer, I w- attended a, um, it was a food blogger thing in um, Pennsylvania, and they had a gentlemen come out and talk about beekeeping and also just the the plight of the bees and the the food um, you know system that we have today especially here in the United States just how people have no idea how integral the bees are to our um, our food supply and it was really fascinating to learn more from him about about the bees and about what they do and, and how important they are but another thing I thought was really interesting is we did a, a honey tasting and I'm sure that you you probably have these at um, your facility as well. I think it's really neat to taste the honeys that come from bees that have gotten the pollen from different places, like you were talking about the almond pollen. You know, you could have, Mm -hmm. you know, a a honey from, you know, one type of flower and another honey from almonds or something else, and they really taste quite different. Um, And Mm -hmm. I guess you can pin that to, you know, the the fields that are local to the the hives, but um, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really fascinating to really dig deep and find those types of of, of tweaks and, and different, um, different, you know, I guess characteristics of the honeys because I use honey in my gluten-free baking a lot, and it can actually change the taste of the end result of what you're baking just because the bees got the pollen from a different type of flower, and it, it's just mm-hmm. I don't know as a as a baker <laughs> that kind of thing really fascinates me. But um, and I guess yeah. Regine said earlier too about you know supplying the honey for people to use in things and breads and things like that. As well, it was one of the things I wanted to talk about because a lot of people, again, take honey for granted as just it's out there. Maybe you put it on top of your toast or something like that. But it is a fantastic thing to use in baking, particularly, I believe, in breads because it acts as a humectant and really holds the moisture in the final baked product. So if you add honey to your yeast bread, for example, gluten-free recipes, I often have honey in there as an ingredient. And if you add that, it helps to keep the bread moist for longer. So just an interesting honey baking fact. But what other types of, of products are you, or, or, or final end goods, are you working with people to use the honey and other products in? Well, one of the things I was going to mention, just kind of more fun facts that people don't always think of, is that honey does a lot of things for us, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence out there that taking a spoonful of honey um, before you go to bed at night, especially the raw honey that you tasted at the natural products, you know, helps with sleep. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, people are using it for, you know, more medicinal purposes, you know, using it as a facial scrub, using it on, you know, burns or cuts. Um, And so there's all those applications, but I think, you know, as I think of, say, the gluten-free audience, there's a lot of fun things you can do with honey. One of my new kind of favorite um, 
things is to put it even on like a type of cheese, you know, and um, use it, you know, as um, as a fun, you know, kind of way to kind of jazz up something that you are already making. And so people are using it a lot in those applications and certainly baking and certainly in, you know, different ways that they barbecue. Um, you know, there's just lots of ways that you can use the honey and especially the raw honey because there's so much more nutritional value. And I think you find also just the taste and flavors are just really prevalent. And like you mentioned, the different types of honey really make a difference in what you're doing. But um, I don't know, do you have any more thoughts on that, Alan, or other products that are Well, I mean, honey honey is... Is the is really nature's nature's sweetener? You know, it's it's gathered. You know, it's made from the the gathering of the nectar, and the bees bees you know regurgitate it and make make honey. And so it it is amazing. And I think one of the things that you know you you finding a lot more uses for it in um, in drinks and whatnot. I mean, it's a it's a great ingredient in in chai chai tea. You know, and and uh, mm-hmm. great sweetener in chai tea. So that's fabulous to use in that. Um, you know, it's really great to make a fruit salad with and toss just with a little bit of, of honey. Um, it, it helps keep uh, the, you know, if the banana's in there from browning quite as quickly and, and yeah. pulls out some of the flavors out of those those fruits. So um, it can be used a lot of great ways. Of course, in, you know, buckwheat honey has, has been uh, tested at Penn University versus Robitussin cough syrup and works better than Robitussin um, versus, for sore throats. So, you know um, what? I'll, you know. I will personally attest to that because we had some serious sore throats in um, in our household this winter, and it just seems like we could never get rid of the cough or anything. And we were using the honey for that um, as well. And um, <laughs> you know, the, the grown-ups in our house were putting honey in you know some adult beverages <laughs> and heating them at yeah. night and, and sipping those, and, and I, <laughs> it really makes your cough go away. It's I mean, it's it's really amazing when you. Um, when you think of all the different applications it has, and there there were lots of honey uh, purveyors and natural products I've seen over the years who are using it, as you said, Regina, in other products. I've seen it as um, rash creams and you know mm-hmm. other obviously cosmetics and facial products. But yes, as as an anti um, bacterial type of you know healing properties, mm-hmm. it's really quite amazing when you look at it that way. Can you throw some facts at me about how much, you know, how hard these bees have to work for how much honey? Because these types of things just really amaze me. When I read those, I just i am astounded by those facts. An average bee in their lifetime makes less than a teaspoon of honey. <laughs> yeah, that's just so, absolutely I, stunning. It's, a, it's pretty amazing. And, and an average bee during the... Uh, pollination period, you know, so when there's lots of pollination going on, um, only lives, you know, six to eight weeks. It literally flaps, it it wears its wings out. It flies so many miles that it wears its wings out. And uh, so um, those those bees work extremely hard. One other thing that's really fascinating about bees is uh, they're a very, um, as a group, community in a hive, they, they work very socially, they all have their roles and responsibilities, but if if uh, somebody drops down their responsibilities, the bees will just move and take over that as a group automatically. They, they're really great at communicating. So 
we can learn hmm. a lot from them in communication too, and we need help. <laughs> we yeah, need to help they're each team other. players. We need to communicate. <laughs> yeah, they're team oh, that's players. Great. The ultimate consummate team players. Yeah, and yeah. So what, well, one and of the things that we're, think of, we've. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I go ahead. I'm. I was just going to suggest about the teams, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that was that's really been um, how we've. Uh, tried to market our honey is that we've we've really taken um, and promoted uh, the raw floral varieties and part of that is so that people get to experience these different um, these different honeys you know and and like you said the different flavor profiles but the other part and kind of related to our campaign is the save the bee campaign is is really it's not about honey it's about the important role that bees play in pollinating important crops that produce important foods for us and for our health and nutrition. And part of having these floral varieties is to put that aspect of pollination on display so that people can make the connection between, oh, wow, bees pollinate orange blossoms or Mm -hmm. raspberry blossoms. And, uh, you know, for for the gluten-free you know, consumer, I mean, I would think, as it is with all of us, nuts, fruits, and vegetables are extremely important to our health, and, and bees play a gigantic role in all of those crops. Um, yeah, I think so. it's something like bees are responsible for pollinating 15 to 30% of all the food that U.S. consumers eat. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like 15 30 to 30%. It's, it's like huge. 30%. It's huge, and I, yeah. I argue that it's actually more important than that because we should be eating more of those fruits, nuts, and vegetables for our health. And so, um, you know, it's they're more critical than even 30% relays, but it is huge. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really important. Um, and I think when people hear it, then they all of a sudden think, oh, oh okay, this is something I want to learn more about, as opposed to, oh, it's a bee, I'm going to run away. <laughs> um, another right. fact that I learned at the the meeting that I was at this past summer you know, I think maybe um, movies or something had have made bee swarms into something that it's not, but we're all afraid of, you know, oh, no, not a swarm. But, you know, what I learned about the swarms was actually that's when the bees are the most docile and that you have really nothing to fear from a swarm, not that many people have seen one. But, you know, the bees are not aggressive and they're not out to get you in any way, shape, or form. So they really are our friends on many levels. They are. Um there's two times we tell people when they don't typically need a smoker to calm the bees, so to speak, and it's when they buy a package of, of bees from us to start their hive or when you have a swarm, and that's because the bees are out searching for a home and they have nothing to defend. And so, um, and honeybees by nature, they sting once and they actually die. So they're by nature, they're not intended to be an aggressive, you know, um, they're not aggressive. They're in, they're right. only stinging as a defense versus something like a yellow jacket or whatnot, a wasp that would sting you repeatedly. Um, that's not the way a honeybee is designed, and so um, really they're they're they can be pretty gentle. Well, just in the remaining couple of minutes that we have, can you just give a headline of some ways that people can help to um, save the bee or to contribute in some way um, on a local level to helping to preserve bee populations um, for our food supply? Jean, go ahead. Well, I think, 
you know, what the, starts with education and awareness. And I, I think a lot about honey. The cool thing about honey is that kids love it, but when they understand that our bees are at risk, um, I think that's really the way to start at the grassroots. Um, teaching kids about gardening and their food supply and, and healthy food really relates to the food. And um, we're partnered up with another local organization that links in perfectly to Save the Bee with the kids. And I've been amazed how passionate they are. So I think it really yeah. starts, you know, kind of back to my brother and us. We grew up with that around us. And so now it's embedded in who we are. And it's always been part of our company So the education, and then I think also, you know, looking for companies that are doing good things and supporting them by buying their products because, glory be, by ourselves, we're not going to be able to save the bee. And we need people and partners, and part of why this program has been so fun is because we've had other companies want to come alongside and contribute. And it isn't about selling more honey. It's about providing people a way to, you know, get linked up with the right people who can help to make a difference, which, you know, we really believe OSU is doing that because they're really kind of farm to table and educating beekeepers and farmers. But I think it's really education. And what we're finding is even, um, you know, populations of people that probably aren't as educated about natural products once you share with them about the bees and you share with them about how they pollinate our food supply, everybody wants to rally around and do something. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that's a really great point. Yeah, and and education yeah. it all starts with the kids, and that's where the next generation of beekeepers will be, right, Helen? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just I want to thank you both so much for taking time to come on the show. We've only got about 20 seconds left, and I wanted to make sure that your URLs got out there. For those of you listening, please do check out their websites. It's glorybee.com and also glorybee.com backslash save the bee to find out more about the beekeeping and bee preservation projects. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Jules. It was great. <laughs>